You're listening to the Community Church in Orange podcast. We hope you enjoy today's episode. All right, that was good. It's like when you don't need a message because worship is so sweet, right? Okay, so they had me singing and preaching. I think we should do that to Pastor Lloyd sometimes. <laughs> Just saying. The guy can sing. All right, so tonight I want to talk with you guys about something that actually was stirred on my heart Sunday during worship, but I didn't um, release it then, and then Pastor had texted me about talking tonight, so I was like, perfect. So <clears throat> I want to start with a story. Stephen has talked briefly about this, but you get the details with me. Um, so a number of years back, I was 2017, you guys are all familiar with 2017, Um, I was driving home with the boys, and they were talking to me about someone in their class whose house had just burned down, and they lost everything, and so they were sharing sharing with me about this, and I was just imagining what that's like logistically and practically, and what do you do, and I was just thinking, oh my gosh, like, that must just be like the epitome of the test of your faith, and how you trust God, and if you're going to love God, and oh my gosh, you know, so we prayed for their family and did what we could to help them out. And then two weeks later, Hurricane Harvey arrived. And then we all had the opportunity to experience what that was like. Um, But we did, testing, we flooded and uh, we had about eight feet of water in the house. Sean and Ruth had just finished building our house six months prior. It was beautiful. And um, so it was kind of an unexpected situation. Um, and as, as we walked through all of this, of course, uh, the, I had asked the Holy Spirit, we knew the hurricane was coming, um, you know, as it is, you never quite know if you should evacuate or stay behind. So I always asked the Holy Spirit, what should we do? And he said, well, you could hunker down if you want to. And I was like, I'll take a pass. So I decided to round the boys up. We went to Tyler and um, we were up there and Stephen stayed here and I was glad we left. Um, The storm, you know, lasted, of course, three days and Stephen got out kind of late as he saw the water rising rapidly outside. He gathered Judah and they grabbed a bunch of stuff and put it up high, of course, not knowing if we'd get water or how much or whatever. And so Judah grabs his Kindle and his little backpack and rain boots and heads out the door with Stephen, not knowing hey, dude, you should probably pack. And so he wasn't packed at all. Um, I finally get Judah and Tyler, and Stephen's here, and the storm's raging, and and I was desperate to play a part. So the Lord connected me with people, and I got to do dispatch. I called in emergency supplies, and our area was so flooded. Stephen had to kind of bounce from house to house and landed at the church, just kind of overseeing a distribution center. So we are waiting and waiting to find out what's the condition of our home, right? I'm on the phone calling and stuff. He's out here distributing things, and we're just waiting. I was like, babe, can you see if someone has a drone they can fly over the neighborhood and see what our house looks like? And we couldn't ever. For four, five, six days, we couldn't find out what the house was like. So finally, he calls me, and he goes, hey, Jen, um, I, someone just sent me a video that's on Facebook, and it's of the neighborhood. You might want to sit down, but you might want to watch this video. So I was like, oh, great. So in the background of my computer, the Lord had worked it out. So there was this song playing by Jen Johnson, and it was like, everything's gonna be all right. Just keep keep it together, something like that. But it was like, it's gonna be all right. It's gonna be all right. It's like the song going over and over. So I'm, wa- I'm listening to that song as I'm watching this video of these guys boating through our neighborhood at roof level. So it's kind of sinking in like, okay, well, I guess what I thought it would be like is what we get to live through now, you know? So as I'm processing all of this, and I go back in the hotel room, and I see the boys sleeping, and I was like, my biggest concern now was like, how do I walk my kids through this? You know, I realized how 
much they were watching our response for this is a traumatizing event and your perspective, as you guys know, determines how traumatizing it is. So I was like, Lord, how do I walk my kids through this? And I didn't realize how life-altering the wisdom that he gave me would be. And he said, gently, he said, he reminded me of Bill Johnson's words where he says, I look, I stay encouraged by looking to see what God is doing. I look for what God is doing. And so that just played over and over and over. And so I was like, okay, that's, that's just what we're going to do. So we walked it out a little bit at a time. Every day I'd kind of release a little more information to the boys. We'd process it and whatever. But every time we'd have those conversations, I'd point their eyes back. The Lord was already acting on our behalf. People were already sending us money and taking care of us and doing things and just little things at the hotel, whatever. I was pointing their eyes to everything God was doing. And so as we walk through this, um, we finally come home, we check out the house, and, and we begin to see like, okay, we've legit lost everything, but God's going to take care of us. And so we're in the house, and um, we're getting settled, and I had been, the Lord had been doing all of these miracles every day. I'm trying to like not give you the whole story because it's really long, but he was giving us all these miracles every day from bikes to ran from random people, beds from random people, a place to stay, and the guy who owned it was paying the utilities for us, and like all these miracles every single day, and I didn't realize how much it was connected to the wisdom God had given me about keep your eyes focused on what God is doing. So at one point, there was about a week that had gone by that I would kind of didn't realize I'd gotten caught up in, I need a vacuum, and I need this, and I need a fit, we need a washer and dryer, and like, you know, the things. And so it'd been a little while since I'd taken time to really focus on what the Lord had done. And so I started to go there in the stress prayers and the fear prayers and all the thing prayers, and I stopped, and I was like, Lord, I just haven't been grateful for a while. So I started to thank him and just thank you for all that you've done. And then at the end of that prayer, my heart was full of joy. My heart was full of hope. And I just said, Lord, the families in our church have suffered a real blow. I need you to step in on behalf of our families. I need you to bring them real money. Not like here's 50 bucks here. I need real money for all the people in our, home, in our church that have flooded. The next morning, our church got a call from Good Morning America and they said, hey, we heard about what your church is doing in the community, and we know that you have a lot of families who have suffered, so we would like to give all those families $2,000 gift cards, and we're doing a pop-up in Houston, and we'd like them to come out and they can take home anything they can fit in their vehicles. We're like, what? It was Good Morning in partnership with Home Depot or something. And so I was like, holy moly. So in that moment, that was a pivotal moment for me where I realized that what could have become really devastating, traumatizing for us. The Lord gave me this wisdom to stay encouraged by looking for what God is doing. And I didn't realize how much me looking at what God was doing was opening the door for him to move in our life on a miraculous level. And so that was a pivotal moment for me. So we get to see this in scripture as well, which is always great. In Numbers 13 and 14, now I encourage you to go and read this story because it really built my faith, especially for stuff we're facing in the nation right now. I think everyone feels it in different ways, and, and we all feel it in the same way. And it's just, it can be a very um, overwhelming time. And so I feel like this is really an important, significant story. Well, in this, as backstory, Moses has brought the Israelites out of Egypt, 
They've seen God do all these plagues. They've seen him rescue them from Egypt. They're out here in the wilderness. They saw him split a sea. They saw him do all this stuff. So now here they are. They've come to Canaan, which is the promised land. And so Moses says, all right, Joshua, Caleb, and all 10 of y'all others, I need you guys to go take 40 days, scout out the land. See how big the people are, see if they're healthy, see if they're weak, see if their cities are fortified or if their cities are, are open, see if the land produces good fruit or if it doesn't. Just get, scout it all out and bring back a report. So this is where we pick up in chapter 13. So they scout it all out, they bring back a report, and this is what the report was. Let's see here. In verse 12. Sorry, 27. They returned with grapes, pomegranates, and figs so big that they had to carry them on a pole between them. And they gave Moses this account. We went into the land which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is the fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there, which are like really large people. The, Am the Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. This is where everybody lives. But then Caleb spoke up and silenced the people. Hold on. If you look at what they did in their report, Moses asked for facts and information. They gave him facts and information, but then they put a slant on it. They said, but the people are powerful right? There's like a tone of fear to it. It's real subtle, but it's there. The people are powerful. The people are huge. But then Caleb stepped in. He saw where it was going, and he goes, hold on. He silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. So he's trying to keep things from getting into fear, panic territory, right? But then the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And look what they do. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. Is this not the land God promised them? Do you not have promises in your life that God has promised to you? And yet fear will try to come in and skew the report. It'll try to slant it. And not only that, it'll get other people talking, saying the same thing to reinforce that fear report, right? The land we explored, listen to what they say now, it went from they're large, to <laughs> the land we explored devours those who are living in it. I'm curious how they saw that. And the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim, which are descendants of Anak, the angels, married people. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. Notice that. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. When you are contending for a promise of God, one of the first things that's going to be attacked is your identity and the way that you view yourself. Because God's promises for your life are always attached to who he says that you are, right? And so they said, we seem like grasshoppers, and so we looked the same to them. Are you seeing yourself as a grasshopper or as a conqueror in Christ? So back to the story when we flooded, there was a moment when I had a grasshopper moment, and we were getting settled into that place that we were staying, and I was getting the kids all settled. We were figuring out where everyone was going to sleep. It was a wonderful house, like 3,000 square feet. It was like twice the size of what we lived in before. It was awesome. And so, not twice the size. Sean built a beautiful big house for us. And, um, and so I was telling the kids all where to sleep. And I was like, okay, guys, get your pajamas on and go get in bed. And then when I said that, like suddenly it clicked. Like, holy cow, my kids don't have beds. What do I do? 
like, and then all of a sudden the weight of like the loss that we had experienced started and I had done real good guarding my heart, like to not feel that loss. <laughs> and then suddenly it kind of sank and tried to sit in on top of me. The bad report they'll devour us, started to try to sit in on top of me. And so I literally had to close, not in a bad way, guard my heart, close that gate that fear couldn't come in. And instead I said, nope, we don't have beds right now, but you know what? We have air mattresses. And the Lord gave us blankets and the Lord gave us towels and the Lord gave us a place to stay and we're going to be just fine. And so in my heart, I was like, Lord, I thank you that we're going to have beds. I thank you we're going to have beds. <laughs> and so, but it was a moment where that fear tried to creep up what these guys are dealing with. The bad report tried to spread throughout me. So you have two perspectives here in this story, same as we have two perspectives here in life. You have a faith perspective and you have a fear perspective. Ironically, that's exactly how your brain is wired. Every thought that you have literally comes down to either fear or faith. It's one or the other. Even if I go sit in a chair, it seems like a neutral thought. I'm going to sit in a chair. But the fact for me to sit in that chair actually is an action of faith because I sit in it without worry because I have faith, it's gonna hold me, right? So every thought that you have comes down to fear or faith, which makes our job really easy. Every thought you have, you can just ask yourself, what's at the bottom of this? Is this a fear thought? Is this a faith thought? God has promised things to, my, to me. I don't have a job right now. I haven't had a job for six months. God has told me he's gonna take care of me. What thoughts am I gonna entertain? Fear thoughts or faith thoughts? Where you fix your focus is what will Produce your perspective. Not rocket science, but it's so, it's a powerful, powerful truth. When I was younger, I rode motorcycles. And I remember when my mom was teaching me, yes, my mom taught me. <laughs> you guys met her earlier. She had did that big road thing anyways. So she was teaching me how to ride motorcycles. And in Arizona, we had like these mountain roads because there's the Rocky Mountains over there. And so we would, she, crazy, I was learning how to ride a motorcycle, and she thought it was a good idea to take me and my twin sister on our motorcycles up this mountain. I literally died 12 times that day. It was crazy, and I had not mastered how to turn, right? And so I literally, every turn I took, I was like praying in tongues and trying to keep loving my mother. And um, so I finally learned, though, that the problem I was doing is I was looking at the ground right in front of my tire, looking right at your situation, looking right at what's in front of you, right? But the problem is, if you do that, and I don't know, it probably has something to do with physics, but for whatever reason, when you do that, it made my turns less controlled, more wobbly, more uncertain, and I didn't know if I was going to take it too tight or too wide, usually too wide. It was just made all these problems. So she finally, forever later, says, hey, by the way, if you look at the end of your turn where you want to go, that will stabilize your turns, I was like, oh, thanks, Mom. Saved my life. And so I finally learned that and realized you have to look at the end of the turn. You have to look where you want to go. Same thing in life. If we fix our focus on what's right in front of us, we're going to be unstable. We're going to be wobbly. You take every little bump that comes, and it's a problem. Somehow the brain and body work together, and it knows. But if you look at where you're trying to go, everything accommodates the vision. Your vision must come from a place of faith. Look for what God is doing. So Caleb, in this story, he was looking for what God is doing. He said, surely we can take this land. He saw everything that they saw. He saw how big the people were. 
but he had somehow a different perspective. He wasn't focused on how problematic the situation would be. He was focused on the vision that God had promised them a promised land, and he had just split a sea for Pete's sake. Surely he could get them into this land, right? So Caleb's perspective changed everything. I don't know about you guys, but I refuse to live my life and get to the end of my life and look back and wonder, God, could you have done more in my life if I had had a different perspective? Like, it's such a simple thing, but it puts so much power in our hands about whether or not we'll fulfill our destiny. And the interesting thing is when we factor God, what, those, what the guys with the bad report were doing, they were factoring God out of the equation. They weren't counting on the fact that, sure, those guys are big. That just means God gets to show off somehow. God gives to give us a cool plan. When God wrote your destiny, he wrote your destiny with him at the center of it. So if you try to take God out of the equation in any way, then you're not going to fulfill your destiny. So as we see, these guys that gave the bad report, we'll get to it, but when they started spreading this report, Let's see in the next, in verses 31 through 33, they started spreading their fear, right? That's what fear does. It looks for someone to, com- to commiserate with, right? Fear looks like it wants to build an army, okay? Offense builds an army. Fear spreads its stories, and everyone gets left behind. So in um, verses 30, hold on, 30, what did I just say? 31, thank you. Read what they did. Actually, 14. It says that, or chapter 14, verse 1. That night, all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud because they had just said, we seem like grasshoppers. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. A fear perspective might turn you against your leadership. And the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this desert. Hold up. Fear will make you long for slavery. Fear will make you long for slavery. It will seem like a facade of safety, but that's what fear does. It traps us in slavery. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land only to let us fall by the sword? Nobody had raised a sword at them yet. They were making this up in their heads as they went. Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. You see what fear does? creates this whole narrative and takes you into this whole thing. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? They said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. So now they want to throw out Moses. Now Moses and Aaron fell down on their face in front of the Israelites, and Joshua and and Caleb ripped their clothes, and Caleb says to them, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. He's like, let me remind you of the truth here exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. What promises has God spoken over you that you need to take that response to? That promise God has given me is good. Surely he will lead me into that promise over my life. He says, only do not rebel against the Lord. A fear perspective puts you in rebellion. And do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. So he is speaking in definitive terms, confident terms, faith-based terms. And look what they do. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. (laughs) 
So let me encourage you, friend, if you are taking a faith position in your life when no one around you has any perspective but fear, don't be surprised if they don't really like you very much because your faith will irritate the fear in their souls. But guess what? When they come looking for hope, guess who they're coming to? So it went on, it went on, and then, um, so God said, that's it. These people, so when they talked about stoning him, they, God stepped in and brought his glory and said, enough. He's going to protect his leaders, right? He's going to protect his guys. He's like, enough. Why do these people show me such contempt? Why will they not listen? Have they not seen all these miracles that I've done? Have I not seen the way I split the sea and pulled them out of Egypt and brought them out of slavery and led them through the desert with a fire and smoke and all the things? Have I not brought you right to the promised land? Are you really going to turn back on me, your God, and show contempt for me now? Are you going to let go of those promises I made to you? I'm going to destroy them all. That's what he said. I'm just going to destroy them all. Moms, makes you feel better when you just want to kill your kids, right? And so, so Moses said, no, God, don't do this. The neighboring countries will hear that you were not a great enough, powerful enough God to pull them out of Egypt. Don't do that. So God said, all right, I'll forgive them. I'm going to forgive them. But everyone who saw the works that I did and showed contempt for me anyways will not inherit the promises, will not inherit the promised land. And so, you know the story. The Israelites wandered for 40 more years. What if those 10 spies, instead of having a lens that saw fear and obstacles, what if they had had a lens that just received the faith of Caleb? Maybe they didn't have the faith Caleb had, but if they would have shut their mouths and let Caleb speak and allowed their hearts to be encouraged by his faith... They wouldn't have wandered for 40 years, probably. They would have gone right into the promised land. The story would have turned out so different. How easy is it for us to get into that place? When our house flooded, how easy. And people would have justified it for me. They would have said, oh, I know you guys lost everything. I can't believe it. Tell me your sob story. You know, like they would have empathized for a long time. People were actually astonished. I received many, many messages from people who were like, I don't understand how you have such faith in this experience. And I'm like, honestly, it's Jesus because I didn't know what to do. But the fact is, I chose a perspective that believed that God was going to act on my behalf. Honestly, it felt easy because I was like, there's nothing I can do. We didn't have insurance. We didn't have any savings because we just spent it on building the house. You know, we didn't have a solution. And so I had to factor God in. And guess what? It became such a sweet time of seeing the miracles of God and the promises of God fulfilled in our life. But it was a perspective shift. It was a perspective shift. So how do you know when you're getting into territory that could rob you of your inheritance in Jesus, because there are promises over every one of your lives, promises over your destiny, promises over your family, promises over your life that aren't fulfilled yet that you're believing for and that maybe you've grown a little weary waiting for. Promises for our nation. There's a lot of stuff we're believing God for for our nation, right? If you tend to be a pessimistic perspective, that's a red flag. These guys Initially, where they started, it was just a little pessimistic, just a little bit. They just saw obstacles instead of solutions, right? So if you tend to be pessimistic, remember Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's not here yet, but it's substance because the confidence is so sure, right? It's the evidence of things not yet seen. 
So instead of having a pessimistic perspective on things, and I get it, there are some personalities that are more bent that way, and it takes a little more work. And there's some personalities that just see the bright side of everything, and it doesn't seem to take as much work for them. But you know, I went through a season where I'm naturally bent more, pe- more optimistic, but I went through a season where I was very pessimistic because I was burnt out, I was depleted, I was tired, I was exhausted emotionally, I was just wiped out. And the Lord had to deal with that. He was like, generally, this won't give you any life whatsoever, ever. (laughs) You have to fix this. It's simple, but you can fix it. And so I had to fix it. So if you're pessimistic, you can change that. You can begin to train your mind to look for the God factor in the situation. Secondly, second red flag to watch for is if you're a grumbler or you're given to complaining. The word of God says, do everything without complaining or arguing. It also says, in everything, give thanks. And so there is a way for us in every perspective. It's not that you're going to rejoice in the situation itself, maybe. The situation could be heartbreaking. No one loves to get flooded. I mean, you guys, many of you probably experienced that. It's not that you rejoice in that per se, but I rejoiced in the fact that I knew God was going to show up somehow. I know he doesn't steal my house from me. He's not going to, and I'm not going to let the devil do it either. And so I had many a prayer. I was like, Lord, devil doesn't get to steal from me, so I expect you to make him pay back twofold. Thank you very much. I'm going to have a great great house when this is done. And the Lord made him pay back. And so factor in, if you're a grumbler or complainer, just stop it. Just put a stop at it and shift it. Instead of complaining, go into gratitude. Call out the things that you've seen God do or just the things you're thankful for. Third thing is, thank you. um, If you're, if you're always trying to reason your way through a situation using just logic, logic that doesn't account for God, just logic, then that's a little indicator you can get in there. That's what, that's what the bad report guys did in this situation. They tackled it just with logic. These guys are big, thus they're going to destroy our wives and children, right? Like that logic led, that logic led Adam and Eve in the wrong direction. Eve, when she was handed the apple, she reasoned her way through it, and she took out the fact that God said, okay? So those are little red flags to look for if you're like, hey, what do I need to do? If, or how do I know if I'm one of the 10 instead of one of the two? So how do you have a faith perspective to counter that? Look for what God is doing. In every situation, especially the difficult ones, stay encouraged by looking for what God is doing. Because the fact is, he's always doing something. Either he already did something, he's doing something now, or he's about to do something, but God is always doing something. Fill your heart with the word of God. If you are out of encouragement, if you're out of like, I just can't think of the last thing God did, just go look in the word. Fill your heart with stories like this, where God straight up slayed giants and did all the awesome things. That'll build your faith right up. And then spend time in his presence, in worship, and in prayer, because what that does is it shifts your focus from your situation back to the Father. Getting in his presence alone just melts fear off. It just really does. You guys, you guys know this. And so that's another way to, that's how you build your faith perspective. Look for what God is doing. Fill your heart with the word of God. Spend time in his presence. So at the end of the year, now I had asked God, how do I protect my kids from the trauma of this, right? So my promised land would have been that they weren't traumatized, right? So at the end of the year, we like to, at New Year's, reflect on the year and celebrate all the things that God did. And so I was asking the boys, hey, boys, I know 2017 was a difficult year. 
and, and you guys lost everything, so I get it. But there's still something good we can find. What was your favorite part of the year? Thinking maybe spring break or something would have been their favorite. And all the boys, without exception, all of them said, Hurricane Harvey! And I was like, what? Why was Hurricane Harvey your favorite? You guys literally lost all your toys. What? I don't understand. And they were like, oh, well, yeah, we lost all our toys, but when we got back here, there was a bucket of new stuff for us, and we got new beds, and we got new bikes, and we, our house got fixed, and it was awesome. We got to vacation in Tyler for like three weeks and swim every day. It was the best thing ever. I was like, thank you, Lord. In that moment, I stepped into my promised land. I was like, thank you, Lord, for protecting their hearts from this experience. And so Caleb had a faithful heart towards God, and he was able to go into the promised land. What God counted as a faithful heart is that he never counted God out of the equation, ever. Right now, with what's going on in the nation, we cannot count God out of this equation. We cannot. No human determines our future. God determines our future. In your life, if you don't have a job right now, you need to count God in. You need to factor God in. Because remember, your destiny is wrapped around. God is at the center of your destiny. If you factor God out, you've walked away from your destiny. Your provision, your ability to fulfill what God has put on your life is built around God being factored into that. Amen? Amen. I just want, I know that there, is a, there are a lot of things that, that we all have been weighing. These last year and a half really has been a roller coaster for most of us. So let's just pray. And um, if anybody has anything that they would like prayer for, I'm going to go ahead and if, if any of the prayer team wants to come up and just make yourselves available. Pastor, did you have anything that you wanted to? Okay. Then I'm just going to pray real quick and I'm going to ask the Lord to, to minister and bring the the more to this word right now. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for the way that you can show up in situations in the way that nobody else can. Father, I thank you that for anybody in the room who has been waiting and contending and believing for their promised land in a situation, believing for a promise, Father, I thank you that the mustard seed is not powerful because it's great. It's powerful because it takes a long time to bear, to grow the tree. Your faith is powerful when you hold on to it for a long time. You hold on to it through the challenges. And so, Father, I ask, Lord, in any of the situations facing the people in this room, Lord, whether it's national, whether it's personal, whether it's employers, situations, whatever, health, losses, anything, Father, I pray, Father, right now that you would breathe fresh hope, on their promised land promises. The promises that you've released over their life through prophets or that you've spoken to them in prayer in quiet places, the dreams that you put in their heart as a child. Holy Spirit, I ask that you'd breathe on those things that you would desire them to hope and believe you for still. Father, I break off any discouragement that has tried to come through delayed promises, delayed fulfillments of your faithfulness, Lord. I break off any discouragement that would come through there. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would open the eyes of their heart to see what you are doing in every situation that they encounter, Lord, in regard to these situations, Lord. I pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. If you would like to learn more about Community Church, you can visit our website at ccorange.org or come follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash community orange. Thanks so much for listening today. We'll see you next time. Thank you.